Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. I remember, I was not, I don't remember. I went back to my notes recently and I looked at 2005. What was I talking about? And one of the big stories in 2005 was the outsourcers. Jobs going to India, Ypro, Infosys, Satyam. These were hot and sexy stocks with double digits earning growth and revenues up 40% year over year. And who got in and who didn't get in to do business with them was a competitive issue because they helped American companies lower their cost of doing business. And you're going, whoa. 2005, Harry Potter was roaring growth, right? 2020, not so much. Maybe I don't know. You know, I, I don't know the world. I don't know the world of young wizard boys. So there was something called a business process that was really big then, and how Indian companies would work with Western companies with their coding skills. My website was built in the Philippines. I couldn't afford the people in San Francisco to do it back in 2005. So it's not so much I couldn't afford. It's just I, I saw that there's coders overseas. So there's always a younger Turk willing to steal the show. That is an old phrase. So these companies don't feel as important today, right? So the lesson we learn is things change. Don't get set too caught up in your angles. Then again, you look at someone like Warren Buffett, and his advice is still as good today as it was 40 years ago. Time and a healthy savings rates that will save all investment wounds. Your top two financial priorities should be maxing out your 401k plan and paying off your credit card balance each month. That's a Warren Buffett statement. Max out your 401k, pay off your credit card balance each month. Now, he didn't say pay off your credit card. He said balance. He says, if you do those two things, you'll be better off than most Americans. Now, that is pathetic, but how true? Most Americans either don't save in their 401k, or they don't save, uh, they don't pay off their credit cards, and they carry a balance, and they're paying an you know, extra 20%. He's saying, you'll be better than most Americans if you do those two things, right? Your employer stock is the risk stock you can own, Warren Buffett once said. So, sometimes I can go back to 2005 and go, wow, these... Indian outsourcers were a huge story then. Now I don't feel so much connected to them. And then you look at Warren Buffett and you look back at his stuff and it's still as fresh today as it was then. A tumbling stock market may be upsetting, he said, but it doesn't have any financial impact unless you have to sell. And if you have money to buy, the sell-off becomes an opportunity. Warren Buffett once said, for every dollar you pay in mortgage interest, you might save 28 cents in tax. Assuming your 28% federal tax bracket, in other words, paying a dollar off the mortgage, will leave you 72 cents poor. The same brutal math applies to the Vonta tax deductions out there. 
such as those for making charitable gifts or paying estate, local, and property taxes. Big exceptions that those are all tax deductible retirement account contributions because you save the twenty eight cents in taxes while still hanging on to your dollar. So I love, love Warren Buffett. Um, and I'm not saying he's the only thing you need. He he's great, but he's not the only thing you need because we're all slightly different, right? We're all a little bit tinker. Um, when do you sell a stock? I have people go, you said AMD was a great stock at 13. Now that it's at 30, when do you sell it? And I'm like, kind of sometimes it's the same reason you buy it. I, I find people have very behavioral finance problems. They just can't sell the winner. I just can't quit you. Then they triple and they go higher and you could have cashed in, but you don't, and you wait, and oh, stocks will eventually find their own level. They don't always go up. They don't always go down. It's like water. A flood will you know, sometimes rise and then recede, right? And it'll get to its, its level that it's supposed to be at as a creek. A lot of people can't sell the winner. A lot of people can't get rid of the loser. What's the best advice you would give yourself if you could go back and talk to your 18-year-old self? Oh, you shouldn't date person. You shouldn't date that person. You shouldn't date this person, right? Selling losers, you're part of a loser's club, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a baseball team, football team, you can't move on. There's this endowment effect, like I've always known this person. Or I've always known that sports team. Or I've always liked this stock. And it becomes a loser. You just hold on to it. A big reason when you should sell, number three, is you don't set price targets. You don't know what the hell you're doing. You're just, you're going, I'm going to go, I'm going to buy in and it's going to go higher. And maybe it doesn't go higher. Professionals never invest in stock without having a very clear idea of when they might sell or when they would sell. You have to at least have a ballpark number. Or you could say, I'm going to look at it again when it gets to those levels. Sometimes buyers won't sell when they should sell when they can't adjust their plans. You know, is it Broadcom or Qualcomm when they're selling for $3 a share after splits? Based on a lot of favorable revenues, boom, they were up 400 to 800%. You got to change your plans on occasion. Sometimes you have to look at a company and say, okay, it's gone too far too high. I love Apple, but when it starts selling at 25 times earnings and they're hardware driven, their services are growing. I pay 25 times earnings for services and, and software. Hardware, it's really, really difficult. Really, really difficult. And then you get a split in the company. And if you've ever been like a, run a company and you're also a secretary, you're like, okay, if I'm doing 80% of my time as a CEO, uh, 50% of time as a CEO, 20% of time as an analyst, and 30% of time as a secretary, should I pay myself 30% of time as a secretary or should I go pay, get a secretary? It's an interesting question, right? So you have to adjust your plans. A lot of people won't sell a stock because they lose confidence in their convictions. If good investing largely is about setting a smart strategy and sticking with it, then abandoning that plan is one of the worst mistakes you can make. There was a time when I had a double in a stock and I didn't take some off the table, only to lose it all. I think another big mistake that people will make is that they try to time the market. 
He can't do it. I've met, never met a market timer worth a million dollars. Now you'll hear radio shows and television shows and podcasts all about, you know, maybe you're even wondering if now is the time to do this. We have software that'll double your money every 18 days. Whoa, whoa. So many, many, many years ago, I wrote an article and I published it. And it was about investing in the technology of a company. And you, you got to be careful when you're investing in tech companies. You kind of want a network effect going on, a competitive advantage. A product becomes more valuable the more people use it. Adobe is the standard for electronic publishing. Microsoft owns the market for PC operating systems on a lot of levels. Um, their office is, is pretty entrenched. Each person who downloads a free copy of an Acrobat Reader or buys a PC loaded with Windows kind of plays into that effect. A tech company with a competitive advantage is high switching costs. Whether you're in Photoshop and you've been using it for years, or Excel, or uh, you name it, you know the Apple iOS operating system is is pretty dominant. But Amazon's trying to make a move to dominate the iOS of televisions, not necessarily phones and, and, and computers. You always like economies of scale. Intel makes billions and billions of chips dominant in the industry. You always look for the cost advantage of business model where, you know, if it's commoditized, they win. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and your money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. You can invest in cars. You can invest in phones. Healthcare. I love healthcare for the long-term patient investor because we're all getting older, and as we get older, we're consuming more pharmaceuticals. They fabricate them, we consume them. One of the stocks that I always try to learn, and I've put together profiles of probably 200 companies, and I always try to like try to figure out, <clears throat> you know, what's the competitive advantage? What's the story here? What <clears throat> what can I see that they did well, and see if I could ever recognize that again? There was a great idea in Trader Joe's and their real triumph. I remember the first time I heard of Trader Joe's, I was like, what do you mean? It's not Safeway or Giant or Albertsons? It's like, it's whoa. CEO Joe Colombo in 1966 had a problem. His little chain of convenience stores in LA, Pronto Markets, they were doing very, very well. But it faced an ominous threat from 7-Eleven, which was moving into California. I know you're saying, I never really thought of 7-Eleven as an ominous threat, but if you, if you look at them now, 7-Eleven changes. They offer high-end wines in their stores trying to get millennials in. So Pronto, as a convenience store, couldn't keep up with competition that can get bigger scale, bigger scale, business word. So the guy with the most money wins, so said Joe, 75 years old at the time. And uh, you know he was an old man when he started his idea of Trader Joe's. Whoever gets the best location wins. That is so true. Location, location, location in retail is pretty important. And that's why Amazon kind of succeeded, because they said, we'll come to you. Right? You don't even have to come to us anymore. You don't have to, have to be in the best mall. We'll come to you. So Joe started figuring out, how can I be more than a convenience store? And he came up with the idea of, you know, he started you know, doing some research. He's trying to figure out a solution to, to stave them off. He read in Scientific America that more people were going to college, up 60% of 
of Americans compared to just 2% in 1932. So America was changing there, getting more educated. He did research and he learned that Boeing, the 747, would be operational in three years, greatly reducing the cost of world travel. A lot of people don't know that, but it's true. So he decided, the founder of Trader Joe's, that he could design his stories to appeal to that new demographic, people who were flying and people who were educated. Now, the flying on the 747 was, it became more budget-oriented, so people were willing to do it. So he put those two facts together, he went on a vacation to the Caribbean islands, and he started doing some thinking. And while he was on the beach, he hatched the idea for Trader Joe's. Now, keep the idea of beach in your head. He evoked the same, he wanted to evoke the same relaxed feeling of taking a 747 to the Bahamas and being on vacation, settled in the South Seas. You know, that's, that's, that's where he went. He could have gone more Hawaiian, he went more South Seas, he could have gone more uh, Bahama. So when he opened his first Trader Joe's in Pasadena, he put fishnets and oars up on the walls. If you've ever been in a Trader Joe's and go, what's up with the fishnets and the oars? He model, model sailing ships were on the counters. He called the manager the captain. So he was sitting on the beach and he comes up this idea on Trader Joe's. People like discount travel. People like to feel like they're in another part of the world. You know, peppermint. I take one bite of a peppermint patty and I'm on the top of a cold mountain enjoying the wild winds as they race through my face. And then you see it's just a secretary sitting at her desk. People like the escape. Romance novels sell for a reason. So not only was the manager called the captain, which I find ridiculous, but I'll keep it to myself. The assistant manager was called, that's right, the first mate. All the staff were crew members, and all of them wear Hawaiian shirts. Joe decided that he doubled the floor space of a convenience store. So he started to figure it out. He got some boutique items that shoppers couldn't find anywhere else. That's true today. While doing his research, he read a correlation between education and alcohol consumption. This is upsetting. The more schooling one had, the more one drank. So his idea was to get smart people in by offering 100 brands of scotch, 20 brands of brandy, 50 brands of whiskey. He also went with California wines. And you know what came up out of that? Two buck chuck. Because people want discount travel. People want discount wine. That's not too bad. So he started expanding more locations. And uh, everyone was like, why are, you so, why are you privately run? Why don't you go public? And the concept continues to work without it. He looked for educated, adventurous, playful with an eye on the budget. I mean, I've bought some things there that are like uh, from India that, that now is at other stores, but they weren't originally. So Joe didn't intend to go in the grocery business. He was a Stanford grad in 1954. The economy was in a recession. He accepted the only job he'd get, which was a researcher for a drugstore, trying to figure out for Savon, or why Savon was killing the drugstore chain, Rexall. He ended up running you know, Pronto Market. Intrigued by the possibilities, he secured financing from Bank of America, and he bought it. And he held 51% of the stock, and his employees held 49%. That's pretty generous to a T. To give customers the best shopping experience, he sought out not only hard workers, but people who are easy. 
friendly and smart. Apple does the same thing with the Apple Store. Visa does the same thing with their employees. Visa doesn't hire all CFAs. They hire people who are like marine biologists. So having a staff that's friendly and nice is what he wanted. The next stuff, he had to retain people and trying to run stores at low training costs and low, low margins is a tough thing to do. Um, so he pays his full-time employees, the median California family income, about $50,000 in today's dollars. He paid his employees well, and they became loyal to him. There were occasionally three generations of a family working for him. Now, that's kind of nuts, right? My daddy worked at Trader Joe's. My daddy's daddy worked at Trader Joe's, and I work at Trader Joe's. My kid will work at Trader Joe's. But that's how good he was as a businessman. He increased sales for same-store sales at 18% compounded annual rate for years. Today, they say if a Whole Foods market is in your neighborhood, it helps the value of your home. Trader Joe's, for the longest time, didn't really have that. What? So they decided, Trader Joe's decided, we're going to become health food and liquor store. So there's a lot of granola, nuts, dried food, vitamins, cheese, um, a lot of stuff there. So Trader Joe's is a great American story, and a lot of people don't know the story. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. One of my favorite investors is a guy named Ron Mullenkamp. Ronald Mullenkamp. Ronald. Whoa. And, um... His website, his last name is M-U-H-L-E-N-K-A-M-P. Mullen's pretty easy to remember, M-U-H-L-E-N, but Camp K-A-M-P adds a little bit of stress to it. He posts a lot of his writings on his webpage from you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. I think he's a great investor, and I do pay a lot of attention to what he says and what he's written in the past. Um, as an investor, his, you know, five year track record was typically like 14, 15%. And that's pretty good when it's consistent. Anyone can hit a home run, but to do it consistently, that's the trick, right? It is for me at least. Um, so I like Rod Mullenkamp. Who do you like? You know, you know that I, every now and then I tell you a couple of other people I, I like, like Scott Galloway. Now, he's not an investor. He's just kind of a guy who talks about big companies who happen to be publicly traded. So he teaches me some of the things that could go wrong, or some of it I totally agree with, some of it I totally disagree with. So find your Buddha and your guru. Don't think that they're going to be your stock picker. Think that they're going to be the people to kind of teach you how to fish. If someone paid a lump sum, oh, I'm switching topics. I like Moon Camp. <laughs> I like Galloway. And now you know. Speaking of which, you know what I watched the other day on Roku? Roku has a channel on their Roku devices that's free. And they've got some pretty good movies. They've got like the Mad Max movie, free. Um, and again, it, it's not Rocky 1, Rocky 2, or Rocky 3, free. And uh, the first beginning of Rocky, dun, 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 dun. And I'll, I'll just watch that and I'll turn the movie off. I just need the first 15 seconds of Rocky to pump me up. But I was watching a Roku. Ow. Right? 
Everyone's done this while running, pretended to be Rocky for a minute, for a second. Yo, Adrian. Anyhow, Roku offers that for free and it's ad supported, which is, it gets a little annoying because you get in the world of Netflix and there's no commercials. But then again, you're like, maybe, well, I'm not actually paying for this either. And sometimes you go through Netflix and you're like, oh, there's nothing new. I'm done with it. They spend $8 million, $10 million a year on content, and I can't find anything to watch, right? So, but the, I watched ALF the other day. I had a best friend who was uh, in college when ALF was out, and uh, he used, my dad died, and he used to go, let's see, am I telling the story correctly? That sounds, no, it was, a little, no, it was when my dad was sick. He would go over to my house, because I was off in college different state kind of thing. And he'd go visit my little sister and he'd watch Alf with her. So I was like, I'm going to watch Alf in memory of Brian. Um, I haven't seen him in 20 plus years. Right. And it's an awful show. Americans were entertained by awful, awful shows in the eighties, but neither here nor there. Um, it's funny though. The, the house by the mom would say, Hey, Alf, um, and, and Alf was a thing that looked like a kangaroo with a long nose, alien life form. And it was a comedy. And the housewife would say, hey, Alf, have you seen my yellow earrings? And he goes, what color are they? Ha! Oh, I kill myself. <laughs> I, I know, right? Uh, anyway, I totally digress. So here's the problem with investing in real estate versus stocks. A lot of people really get kind of like bogged down into it. And you can become kind of you can make yourself crazy trying to figure out what to do right and what to do wrong. If you paid a lump sum of $100,000 for, $100, for a home in 1970 California, you would own a million-dollar home free and clear. So, right, 30 years later. However, you invested $100,000 in the stock market in 1970 and then invested $1,000 to $2,000 per year, which is the equivalent of property taxes, you would have $2 million. Who's the winner? Is it the stock market or is it the housing market? You got to put money down on a home. Traditional 20% down purchases, if you put some you know, $20,000, you pay $10,000 uh, property income taxes for 25 years, it doesn't go as far as the investment did. Um, so... I'm not saying stocks are better than bond, uh, real estate. I'm saying fact is they are. Now, again, people go, oh, my daddy said. People get caught up in the past. I think Kennedy once said, the past is a bucket of SH, and you finish it, right? Ancient Chinese secret. Whisk, get rid of. Bring around the collar. That's a commercial that wouldn't fly today. A very uh, Chinese broken accident lady talking about Chinese secrets and how whisk is the best way to get your laundry clean. That would not fly today. That is inappropriate behavior. That's terrible. So I was talking to someone at a seminar recently, and he was like, I've been listening to you for 20 years. And uh, I was like, okay, let's do a battle of Rob Black-isms. Uh, can we do it? Are you seeing where I'm going at with this? Um, some Rob Black radio sayings that, you know, you can't uh, say the same thing a lot. 
you do 15 hours of radio a week, it starts to add up. You do television in there and you do some internet. Don't fight the markets. That's number one. Accounting irregularities equals sell. Immediately, no questions asked. If the financials have to be restated, you'll sometimes hear companies, and even Donald Trump says this, my taxes are being audited all the time. You wouldn't be able to understand what's going on. Your little pea-sized brain can't process the bigness of Trump's enterprises. But when a company is always being audited, that equals accounting irregularities to me. And I just run. I cut and run. It's not my thing. I like buying sector leaders, the best of the breed. Um, I know a lot of people go, but that's so expensive. I want to buy the next one or the one who's coming up, you know, the one who's going to piggyback. And uh, no, that's not me. I don't like the coattail riders. You don't have to. It's not a game of, you know, someone's going to look at your portfolio and go, oh, you only own winners. Oh, you only own the big guys. I get it. You don't like small guys. I don't, if, if you go to buy a dog and it's got fleas, I'm like, I'll pass. It's already mangy. It's going to make me mangy. It's going to make my house mangy. It's going to make my brain mangy. Mangy house, mangy house, right? Mangy house, mangy mind. <laughs> Sorry, Fido. But don't buy a dog with fleas. And a lot of investments become dogs with fleas. They fall apart and we're like, well, I'm just going to hold it for one more month. Don't buy IPOs that are less than one year old. Especially in that 90-day to 120-day period. That's when the lockup happens. And that's when a lot of people who've been working in the company for years and years and years start selling their shares. And suddenly the stock wasn't moving on 8 million shares. Suddenly it's moving around on 32 million shares. And it's tough to get kind of like some push on it. When a company like Uber IPOs or Facebook IPOs, there's a big rush to like, I want to own some of it. I want to own us. Everyone's made money before you. I look for quarter and quarter and year over year increase in revenues and earnings in good times and bad times. I'm looking to protect uh, the company, protect the portfolio. And it, I don't have to have growth. I just can't have decelerating growth. Don't chase a stock or sit on a spike. Chasing a stock when you see a company go from four to 120. Everyone's made money, but you. If a company, if you own a company, so that's when you don't chase a company. You don't have to own it. You could buy pieces of it if you want to, scaling in. But don't sit on a spike. Little Miss, Little Miss Muffet. Don't be Little Miss Muffet. Right? When a company goes like from 20 to 30, there's no sh- if it goes there in like a week, there's no shame taking some money off the table. It may go from 30 to 300 and you'll kick yourself in the hiney, but there's also no shame in, in booking a profit. Ring the cash register. You can ring my bell. Ring my cash register bell. Uh, never let fear or greed influence your buy-sell decision. Uh, due to the fact that I had a father who was an alcoholic and he kind of liked to taunt me, not physically, just mentally, he wanted me better, but he didn't know how to do it. So he, he kind of was like, oh, don't be a dummy. Um, due to that, I, I, I hid a lot of emotions because I didn't want him to prey on my emotions of being happy or sad. You know, we had a thing when I was a kid of don't turn on the tears. So like if you took a kickball or a soccer ball in the face, my brothers would start, you know, rubbing their ears in kind of a, a turn dial motion. Like, come on, Rob, don't turn on the tears. <laughs> That's making me cough. Um, so I, 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 did, I, I hid my emotions. When I got hurt, I didn't act hurt. So I'm a good investor because I don't get emotional. I don't, you know, get greedy or fearful. I'm in a glass case of emotion. 
I wish I was in a glass cage of emotion, but you get the idea. Um, before you buy a stock, say, I'm going to own this for the short term, medium term, or long term. And, and qu- try to try to quantify that. These are all things that I've said in the last 20 years again and again and again and again. Don't be a bottom fisher. Have you ever been fishing and what lives on the bottom? Nasty, ugly catfish. I used to be a bottom fisher in my dating life. <laughs> it wasn't pretty. Don't yeah. buy stocks that are bottom fishers. You know, take a look. You're looking for increasing revenue quarter to quarter, year over year. You're looking for improvements, bottom line, financials, management ability, quality products. There's some great companies out there. Don't be a fool and look for the guys who are the worst companies. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. So every 5, 10, 15, 20 years, I like to read some of my research that I put together 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And there was a point in time where we talked a lot about BRICS. Do you remember that? Brazil, Russia, India, and China. That was a big story in 2000, 2001. Huge. We started talking about these expanding middle classes, Brazil, Russia, India, and China back in 2001. So when I reread my notes on that, um, it, it kind of made me scratch my head. Now, we, they've been talking about the brick, and now they're talking about fang. And no one's really talking about brick anymore, and everyone's talking about fang, right? So there's a lot of gloom on a lot of cyclical challenges, and we're looking at developed economies and growing economies. And, you know, the best investments are in growing economies. China should be, in my opinion, way higher than it is now because of how much growth they have. But they kind of cheat a little bit. They're not pure capitalism. They're not letting companies fail sometimes. And they're saying, you know, we're going to step in and do it. So when Brazil, Russia, India, and China didn't exactly work out. And, you know, India, we were like, well, India's got more colleges and a better education system and better politics. And Brazil's got, you know, uh, commodities. So you, you flash forward 10, 15 years, and you're like, whoa, now we've got fangs. Back then we had bricks, and no one's talking about them anymore. So you got to be kind of careful. Um, in the research that I wrote, automakers are fleeing from Detroit to Moscow to, and St. Petersburg. I'm like, I don't know that's necessarily true anymore. And now we're building more cars in the United States in different ways. And this was back in 2008 when I wrote that note to myself. So be careful on getting caught up because I remember doing this radio show, pounding bricks, and not so much these days. I love a good story stock. And when stories, <clears throat> I'm always paying attention. I don't have to have like sex appeal on a stock. Um, I'm doing more camp and America's doing more. Oh, but wait, wait, before I finish that. So, okay, well, the more camping, the more camping gear as I get older, I'm, I'm spending more money on. So like a Yeti cooler is awesome so that you're not pouring water out of your cooler after one day because all the ice melts. And that appeals to Americans. So as I continue to put together research for you, remember how I said back in 2000 to 2008, we're talking about the growing middle class in Brazil, Russia, India, and China. And middle class tends to be consumers. They tend to smoke cigarettes and eat more protein. And there's great investments that you can find off of you know, middle class. They, they, they want to go on vacation. So there's easy pickings. Now, what's interesting is Brazil, Russia, India, and China grew their middle class. I think the United States middle class has shrunk on a lot of levels, the, the haves and the have-nots. So do yourself a favor. Write some things down. I think when you write it down, it makes it true. It kind of puts you into a category of, this is my opinion. And if you can judge yourself later, 
I think that's a good thing. So if you can scorecard yourself, scorecards are awful. They're awful, awful, awful. But I love scorecards, right? So I think that's kind of important. Avoid being God syndrome. I think God syndrome, you'll see some people out there, a lot of radio shows, a lot of guests on TV, who act like they're always right. People will call into my show knowing that gold is going to $600 an ounce. People will call in knowing that gold is going to $3,000. People will start thinking that fuel cells are going to be the next red hot thing, and fuel cells really never caught on. Tesla's self-driving cars will be the next hot thing, and I, I don't know if we're ever going to have fully you know, self-driving cars with the roads that we have in the United States. It just uh, the two kind of kind of bash heads. Financial news is something that you need to understand is useless. Financial news helps people who trade gold and stock traders. So if you're an investor, CNBC should do you no good. If you're a trader that invests in gold, you want to see where the are we in the good times or are we in the bad times. So just be cautious. I remember back in 2001, right before 9-11. So 9-11 happened in September and in August. All the news stations were talking about the summer of the shark. And you believed there was enough Americans who had been bitten by sharks that summer that if you believe that if you even stepped on the beach, you might get bit. That's how many shark bites there were. But after 9-11 and in 2002, you know how many stories were on, on beaches and sharks? None. None. Headline news is awful. Um, it's an awful indicator of the future is what I'm trying to get at. Stories, you know, I, I, I thought about this the other day. I, I like following hockey or basketball on, on news. Like, hey, what's going to happen with this team? What's going to happen to that team, right? And I'm, I'm thinking if you're a beat writer for a hockey team, how difficult it must be to write 150 stories. And do you just go back and copy the last year's 150 with different players and different, you know, uh, stories? Or do you do it? Do you figure out how it matters? Do you figure out how it plays? I think market timing is a bit of a scam. And you've heard people go, join my group and I'll tell you when to buy and sell. I'd be very cautious on that. Show me one person who's a market timer worth $10 million. Show me someone who turned 10,000 into 10 million. Now, the people who sell you the newsletter that tells you they can do that, they've done well. The people who sell you the software who, who promises to give you access to the investment God's ears, they, they make money on the software, but not on the trades. So if you doubled your money every two to four months, or you take a class that starts at $99 or $400, if you really believe that, those lead to $4,000 classes. They're not one-on-offs. $10,000 doubled every four months is $5.3 trillion in 10 years. It ain't that easy. Don't look for shortcuts. Write down things you believe in. Become a better investor. Learn from your mistakes. Be patient. I'm Rob Black. Take care. Find me at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show.